You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. To approach the God of Israel, that Gentile had to become an Israelite. And he had to become a member of the covenant people through the rite of circumcision. Well, the new thing revealed to Paul, this mystery, is that this approach is no longer necessary. Christ has broken down the wall, making one new people out of two previously divided people. There are many nuances to the Christian faith that we just don't understand in our culture today. For example, if a man who was not circumcised as an infant wanted to follow the God of Israel, he would need to visit his doctor for an excruciating procedure. Thankfully, as Pastor Mike shares in today's message, Jesus has taken care of this problem by making two divided people groups come together as one. Now Jew and Gentile can approach God regardless of their history. Jesus unites all. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Ephesians chapter 3 as he begins his message, The Mystery Revealed. chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already. In fact, all of what he's referring to there was the entire chapter 2 of the book of Ephesians. So that's what he's referring to you know, passing it along to them, the revelation that had been given to him by God. And then in verse 4, by which, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the Son of Men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. And then verse 6 is probably the most significant verse in our text that we're going to be treating this Because in verse 6, we have recorded for us that mystery. What was the mystery? Verse 6, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the means of the preaching of the gospel. Now, I don't know if you knew this or not. You probably have if you're a serious student of the word of God. But one of the great terms of the Apostle Paul's vocabulary is this word, Mystery, which is a part of the title of this morning's message. 
it was frequently used of Paul, expressing his wonder because of God's working. So oftentimes he refers to God's working, the works that God does, as a great mystery. That is sort of like beyond our comprehension. If not for revelation, our understanding, the knowledge that we do possess, that has been given to us by God's Holy Spirit. Now, we are probably most acquainted with this word mystery as a result of what's recorded for us in 1 Corinthians in chapter 15, in verses 51 and 52, which, by the way, happens to be referring to the rapture of the church. For example, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. There's that word mystery, okay? Again, one of Paul's favorite terms of God's working. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, or that is, we shall not all die, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, faster than a speeding bullet, folks, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. So, again, as it relates to this word mystery, we're probably most acquainted, most familiar with this word as it relates to and in context of the rapture of the church as is referred to here in 1 Corinthians in chapter 15. But there are 19 more uses of this word mystery in Paul's writings, that is, in the Pauline epistles. Plus, there are seven other occurrences in the Gospels and also in the book of Revelation. And in those books, for example, the word speaks of the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, the mystery of the olive tree, the mystery of Christ and the church. That's basically what we're talking about this morning. The mystery of the rapture of the church. I just cross-referenced that for you in 1 Corinthians in chapter 15. Also, the mystery of lawlessness. So those are just some of the things that Paul refers to as mysteries. Okay, so what is a mystery? Well, in modern-day English, it is translated something unknown. You probably agree to that definition. But this is not the meaning mystery had in Paul's day when he wrote this epistle to the church at Ephesus. The word that he uses that's translated into our English word mystery comes from a Greek word. The Greek word is mysterium, M-Y-S-T-E-R-I-O-M. And it refers to something known, but only to those who are initiated. It is not that the thing itself is unknown. It is known, but only to those to whom it is revealed. You know, the word mystery is used in this way as it related to ancient mystery religions. And ordinary people who weren't indoctrinated into those ancient mystery religions did not know what went on in those religious cults. But the mysteries were revealed to the initiates, or the devotees. You're probably more familiar with that word, devotees. And when Paul used that word, here in our text and elsewhere in his writings, it was with similar meaning. He used it to describe something that was unknown before the coming of Christ, 
but is now revealed fully. Okay, so with that said, that sets up this morning's study. So let's get right to it. Let's get to our points. The first of which is, and if you're taking notes, write this down, the church, a mystery. The church, a mystery. Now, in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul uses the word mystery three times. So therefore, we can come to the correct conclusion that this chapter is critical for understanding this most important mystery the Apostle Paul is speaking of. Now, Paul anticipates this teaching in chapter 1. You know, everything up until chapter 3, it's all been leading up to the point that Paul makes in chapter 2 referring to this mystery. And so Paul knew exactly where he wanted to go in his writings leading up to chapter 3. You know, I I want you to understand that, you know, Paul was considered, is considered, even up until the present time, one of the greatest intellects that ever lived. In fact, in the list of the 10 top, he is listed and numbered as one of the top 10 of the greatest intellects, secular, by the way, intellects of all times. And this is based purely on his literary writings and his prowess. So I want you to understand that. So Paul, you know, it's just amazing, just, you know, for the literary value of the letters that he wrote is just wonderful. So Paul had great command over his writings. He knew exactly what he wanted to say. He knew exactly what he wanted to accomplish, and such is the case before us. So again, he is in advance. He's leading up to the point that he wants to make here that's recorded for us in chapter 3. He knew exactly where he was going. Brilliant, brilliant writer. So, Paul anticipates this teaching in chapter 1. Speaking of, we've already gone over this, the mystery of God's will, namely, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. As is suggested in verses 9 and 10 of chapter 1. Just take a quick look at it. In fact, let's quickly go back over it. Verses 9 and 10. Having made known to us the mystery of his will, with according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. What is he referring to here? The church. He's referring to the church. That's the great mystery. Do you see that? And later on, he reviews it with the new slant in chapter 5. Just jump ahead quickly, if you will, to chapter 5. Notice there in verse 32. He says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the, what? The church, right? So nevertheless, we have these cross-references relating to this mystery, but nevertheless, It is chiefly in chapter 3 that Paul develops this doctrine. And notice in verses 2 through 6, let's go back to our text here in Ephesians chapter 3. Notice in verses 2 through 6, these verses use the word mystery twice, two times. And they are followed by a third instance just three verses later in verses 9 through 11 of chapter 3. Let's go ahead and read that text. Chapter 3 and verse 9. And to make all see 
what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages had been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay, so what is this mystery? Well, clearly it is that the Gentiles should be made partakers along with the Jews of God's great blessings within the church. And isn't that exactly what verse 6 teaches us? Go back to verse 6, chapter 3. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. Now, this is the most significant verse in the text that we're treating this morning. And in just a little bit, in our third point, we're going to break this down for you in its entirety. And we'll take a, little, a closer look at each component that's uh, mentioned here, there in verse uh, 6. Uh, so we're going to address that in just uh, a little bit. Okay, so you got to understand that before the coming of Christ, this could only happen if a Gentile became a proselyte. Think about it. To approach the God of Israel, that Gentile had to become an Israelite. And he had to become a member of the covenant people through the right of circumcision. Well, the new thing revealed to Paul, this mystery, is that this approach is no longer necessary. Christ has broken down the wall, making one new people out of two previously divided people. Remember, we talked about this in one of our previous studies just a couple of weeks ago. The reference for this is found in chapter 2, in verse 15. He says, Having abolished in his flesh the enmity or the hostility or opposition, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, those were the things that separated the Jew from the Gentile and from the, and from the Gentile to the Jew, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. So therefore, now both Jew and Gentile approach God equally on that new basis. Let me tell you something. This was no small thing that God accomplished through his son, Jesus Christ. Our second point, just to amplify this, is Jew against Gentile. Jew against Gentile. So if you're taking notes, write that down. That's our second point. Now today, because we are so far removed from the apostolic era by many centuries, as we are, we can hardly appreciate how radical this disclosure was, the claim that Paul is making here, how that he brought two distinct groups of people together within one body, the church. But Paul gives it, and to kind of give you an idea of how radical this idea was, Paul gives us a clue in verse 1. Let's go back to our text. What does he say there? He says, for this reason. For what reason? bringing these two distinct groups of people together in one body, the church, this mystery. For this reason, I, Paul, have become the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles. So it was so radical that it cost Paul to be imprisoned for his preaching and the revealing of this mystery. And listen, this was literally true. You know this, right? 
Paul was incarcerated on several different occasions. He had been confined to the prison in the Antonio Fortress uh, in the city of Jerusalem. Remember back in Acts chapter 22, sometime during the week you might want to read that text. He was also in prison, brought to Herod's Praetorium in the city of Caesarea, Acts chapter 23. He was imprisoned twice in Rome with a house arrest of two years, separating his confinements. It's recorded for us in Acts chapter 28, during which time he was probably chained to a Roman soldier in shifts around the clock. So he refers to himself there. Notice again in verse 1, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you uh, Gentiles. You see, there was this fanatical Jewish opposition to Paul's ministry to the Gentiles. And what was that ministry? What did that ministry entail? Well, he had been teaching that God had broken down the wall of Jewish tradition and was now making one new person through faith and faith alone in Jesus Christ. And uh, no longer did the Gentile have to go through these various rites of, and ordinances to come and know and fellowship God, you see. And this was very radical. And again, that's the reason why I suggested that this was no small thing. As far as the Jew was concerned, this was unacceptable, the teachings of Paul. Absolutely, totally unacceptable by the Jews. So therein lied the reason for the prejudice amongst the Jews for the Gentiles. But let me say this. The prejudice was not all one-sided. Yes, it was particularly intense among the Jews because for them it was a religious issue and no fanaticism is greater than religious fanaticism. But the Jews, yes, despised Gentiles, but Gentiles also despised the Jews, not only the Jews, but others as well. For example, the Greeks thought all but Greeks were barbarians, and that's the way that they referred to them. Celsus, the second century Greek philosopher who also happened to be an enemy of Christianity, said, and I quote, the barbarians may have some gift, now he's referring to other Gentiles who were not Greeks, he says the barbarians may have some gift for discovering truth, but it takes a Greek to understand that truth. So that was the general consensus amongst the Greeks. Then you have the Romans, who conquered the Greeks, who looked upon them largely as slaves. And so barriers were absolute in the pre-Christian world. Now, against this background, okay, think about that, Against this background, this claim that Paul is revealing here to us, it was particularly amazing. And so if you think about it, it was truly and really a great mystery. And that's why he suggests, notice, let's go back to our text in verses 5 and 6. He says, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of man as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. Again, what was that mystery? That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, through the preaching of the gospel. Okay, now that brings us to our third point, and that is 
all together, all together. And again, I would reference this by once again quoting, or I've already quoted it twice, maybe even three times, so we're not going to quote it again, but everything that's contained there in verse 6. And I'm going to break verse 6 down for you in just a moment. But the chief thing, so this is our third point, all together, and I'm referring to Jew and Gentile alike, the chief thing that Paul wants to say about the mystery of God creating one new people in Christ is that Jew and Gentile hold their salvation and blessings jointly in Christ's church. So here in our text, verse 6 is the most important, is the one that we need to focus in upon. Now I want to break down verse 6, as I've already suggested for you, but I want to use another translation, which I think would be actually more fuller and richer and more worthwhile uh, to consider than what is recorded for us in our New King James version of the Bible. I'd like to use the NIV, if I could, to accomplish this. So I want to read now out of the NIV, translating verse 6 for you. Verse 6 in the NIV states, This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Now, what one word is absent from your King James Version of the Bible? What word? Tell me, if you're reading out of the New King James. Which word is is absent? The word together. And that's the reason why I chose to use the NIV to break this particular text of Scripture down. There are three different components in this one verse, and we're going to consider each one in a moment. But notice the word together. It's absent from our New King James Version of the Bible. So I wanted to impress that upon you. We're together, Jew and Gentile alike, together in one body that is the church. Now, I think these three phrases are worth looking at in great length and detail. The first of which is, and if you're taking notes, write this down, heirs together with Israel. Now, the word heirs was an important one for Paul as his use of it in a number of key passages uh, show. Like, for example, in the book of Romans, in chapter 4, in verse 13, concerning Abraham, referring to God's promise that he should be heir of the world. He says, for the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed. We know who Abraham is, the father of the faith. His seed would be who? Would be Israel, right? But notice, he says, it would be for the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed or through the law, but rather through the righteousness of faith. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house. We're so glad you joined us today on In My Father's House for our continuing verse-by-verse study through the book of Ephesians. If you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Mike, please visit our website at harvestnyc.org. 
You can also listen online by going to the Resources tab, or you can find them on One Place and search for Harvest Christian Fellowship or Pastor Mike Fenizio. Viewing our recent services in their entirety can be an option as well through Vimeo. Just follow the link at our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. We also invite you to subscribe to our podcast. Just search your favorite platform for In My Father's House. If you're ever in or near the Midtown Manhattan area and are looking for a church home, come visit us here at Harvest Christian Fellowship. We meet every week for worship, Bible study, and fellowship. It's easy to get here, and you can reserve your seat at our website. If you can't make it in person, that's okay. Join us on the live stream to participate in our services virtually. Just follow the link at harvestnyc.org. If you happen to have any questions for us, don't hesitate to give us a call at 212-247-1877. That number again is 212-247-1877. Or connect with us on Facebook and Instagram by following the links on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. We're so glad you took the time to listen in today, and we hope you'll join us again next time on In My Father's House.